You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. John chapter 14, and uh, as you do, want to just make mention of a couple of things by way uh, of announcement to you. Uh, one is that we are just one week away from... Vacation Bible School, and uh, excited about that this year, starting next Sunday evening. And so if you have not signed up, your children aren't signed up, we encourage you to do that. All that can be done through the Church Center app or through our website, or you could even call into the church office the old-fashioned way. Uh, But want to encourage you to be a part of that. Right after service today, there is a Vacation Bible School meeting. Uh, And so make sure that you stick around if you are volunteering in any way uh, so that you can get some details for uh, what you need to know coming up. And then also we are excited about what God is doing in both our women's ministry and our men's ministry here. Uh, And we get the opportunity this coming up uh, Saturday evening, uh, make sure I get that right, uh, at the Harrison home. We're going to be having a men's gathering, kind of a kickoff. Uh, so looking forward to that, and I think there's some ways that you can bring some things. Um, and so if you are interested in being a part of that, want to know what you can bring, if you would see uh, Chris right after church and a couple other guys, I don't think that are here this morning, but um, but uh, leaning into our men's ministry and getting that kicked off next week. So I uh, want you to be a part of that, and he's got address information and everything for you after church. So John chapter 14 Uh, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. If you're just joining us or you've been here all year, this is, of course, the theme verse for the Gospel of John. It is the whole purpose for which He is written. And here, toward the end of the Gospel, really the latter half, He's turned His attention from the unbelieving world, primarily, to disciples, to those who have come to know and believe the gospel. And he's given very clear, practical instruction for what it means to continue to follow Jesus in this journey of faith, in this learning what it means to really believe that Jesus is the Christ and to do so amidst an unbelieving world where things seem to be in turmoil everywhere we turn. See, sometimes faith in Jesus is crystal clear. What it means to follow Jesus, what it means to to be saved. But after that, it can get a little fuzzy. What comes next? And how this faith that we have in Christ begins to impact the rest of our lives. Whenever we begin to face trouble. See, when we came to faith in Christ, many of us believed that that was going to make everything all better. And then you walk with Jesus for a week and realize that wasn't the case, right? Things got tough. When we become discouraged or worried or confused about 
things happening around us, fearful, frustrated, disappointed, when we got burdened about things or when somebody hurt our feelings. Say, I know that's not happened to you, that's happened to me though. And what does it look like to walk with Jesus through those kinds of things? Sometimes those emotions are more than just momentary, aren't they? Sometimes we go through seasons of discouragement or doubt. Sometimes it feels like as Christians that we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. The statement is often said, I believe in Jesus, but as if there's two categories in our life. There are the things of faith and then there's the everyday life, real life. For example, I believe in Jesus, but I'm worried about how I'm going to survive these high gas prices and grocery prices. I believe in Jesus, but I don't know if I can take another day of these body aches and this battle every day with this sickness that I have, threatening to get the best of me. I believe in Jesus, but to be honest, Pastor, most days I just feel so alone. Or, I believe in Jesus, but my marriage is falling apart and my kids are trying my patience. Again, I know that never happens to you. I believe in Jesus, but my boss is just too much for me to handle. Or, I just can't seem to get anything right. The question then becomes, how does believing in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, and having life in His name, how does that impact the troubled heart? The one who faces these things As a believer, well, here in John 14, Jesus actually communicates to his disciples that believing in him and following him as the son of God and having life in his name doesn't just change the destination of our lives. That is the eternal destination. It is the very thing that settles the heart of the believer in the deepest and weightiest of troubles that we face every day. So I want us to see that. What does it mean here in John 14 to have Heaven settled hearts. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me, as is our custom, in honor of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, So would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Would you pray with me? Lord, I I pray this morning that in such a familiar passage, that you would help us to see with great clarity what is going on here in the hearts of these disciples, these Christ followers. I pray that you would help us to identify with them and, and that we would see our lives just as they do, as frail and broken, and that we would understand that we are in desperate need of Jesus, not only to be saved, but to live every day of our lives. God, that you would address our trouble with the same truth 
through which we were saved. That if we would believe upon Christ, if we would trust in Jesus, that you would in fact not only save us, but calm the troubled heart. I pray that if there's one here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus, maybe they're trusting in other things or, or maybe just they're just coming to the place where they understand who Jesus is and, and just looking for that, that moment, God, when you're drawing their heart, I pray that this would be that day. That with all of their hearts, they would trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior today and be saved. And we pray that in all of these things, you would be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So keep in mind that Jesus is having a conversation here, not with a bunch of lost people, people who don't yet know him. He's having a conversation with his closest followers. And here they were, for all accounts and purposes, a group of friends. This is the tightest group in Jesus' ministry. Eleven men at this point. Remember, Judas has gone out to betray Jesus. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But they had spent every waking minute together for the last three and a half years. These, these men were super close. I mean, this was, this was a tight-knit group of guys. And here Jesus drops a couple of bombshells on them that they were not yet expecting. One of them was when Judas was still there, he says, there's one of you that's going to betray me. That's a bombshell whenever you're walking with men that have become your friends. Like, imagine you've got a, a group of friends that you've had just for many, many years and you discover that one of them has betrayed the group. And of course, the disciples begin to argue about who it's going to be. Nonetheless, it is a difficult thing for them to understand even as they're arguing among themselves. And then bombshell number two. Jesus says that He's going away. You remember verse 33? Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So, in this moment, the man that they've grown to love, who is their Savior and their Lord, is saying he's going away and they won't see him again. Not for a, a while. And they don't know what that looks like. We, looking back at this text, know much more about this text than they did. But at the time, they're very confused. They've heard of this betrayal. There's loneliness. And they know that Jesus' life is being threatened. Of course, their life is going to be threatened in the same way. And Jesus won't be anywhere around to give them instruction or perhaps to come to their rescue. They're enemies of state because they've followed Jesus. So here Jesus is leaving them and it puts them into a very vulnerable position. And their hearts, John tells us, were troubled. The word troubled was more than just a, a casual expression of what it meant to be concerned. This was a, a deep level of disturbance in their hearts. It's a word that describes an intense, agonizing concern. They were worried to death. They were in emotional and mental distress and pain. By the way, it's the same word that we saw in John chapter 12. When Jesus was considering His own death, the death that He was going to endure for sinners, Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. 
And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You can imagine the the concern in Jesus' heart as he knows he's about to go and die for the sins of the world. All that he was about to endure on the cross and he was troubled. We, We might say that that was an understatement. John uses the very same word here in John chapter 14. The same word was again used in the previous chapter, verse, or chapter 13 and verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. We can think about how the Son of God must have known, knowing that Judas was going to betray him and knowing this sin was going to take place and what it was going to do to the other eleven, the concern the grief on Jesus' heart over what was going to take place. And John tells us that he was troubled. That's the trouble in the hearts of the disciples in this moment. And Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, there are many ways that we face trouble. This particular passage is often used during funerals to prepare us for death. But they didn't know at this time that's what was coming. They knew only how much trouble and worry and burden there was in their hearts. And we face burden and worry and trouble over all kinds of different things today. And in all of those ways, Jesus' answer is, believe in God, believe also in Me. Whatever trouble you're facing, whatever difficulty comes your way, this is the answer. Believe in God, believe also in me. The antidote to the troubled heart is belief, faith. By the way, the word believe here is the word for faith. And faith is the answer. Jesus is the one who says there will be trouble, by the way. He reminds us that in this world you'll have all kinds of trouble. Jesus himself is troubled as he thinks about the cross. But he says that faith settles that trouble. It steadies it. It quiets the the heart of the believer that is worried and, and burdened over the things around them. Faith stills us. It steadies us. But the nature of the faith is what is so critical here. It's not just some emotional feel good, pat on the back. You know, that every little thing is going to be alright. Right? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It is a faith that is pointed somewhere. He says, believe in God, believe also in Me. And there's something in these Jews that have this deep-rooted faith in God. They had a heritage, when Jesus appeals to this faith in God, they had a heritage of centuries of proof that God was who He said He was. God calling them out as His own people and delivering them over and over again and sustaining them over and over again, all built on the promise, on the covenant that He was going to make from them a nation. That He was going to bless them. They were the children of Abraham. And when Jesus invokes that here, He's saying the promise of God, you believe in God, this deeply rooted, proven faith. You believe in Him, now believe in Me. There is this enduring 
faith in God that is working toward a great end in which God has a people that He is redeeming for Himself. And Jesus extends that promise to His very work. You believe in God, also believe in Me. Which, by the way, is the purpose of John's Gospel. That we would believe in Jesus as the Son of God and that by believing, we would have life in His name. But it doesn't begin and end at a confession of faith one day, one moment in our lives where we prayed and received Jesus as Lord and Savior. When we trust in Jesus, we enter into this journey of faith. We enter into this cloud of witnesses in which God, from beginning to end, is orchestrating all of human history so that belief in Him works itself out in completed promises. So that belief in Him works itself out in a redeemed people. And this is what Christ is calling them to. And this is why when he says, you believe in God, believe also in me, he immediately moves to, I'm preparing a place for you. There's something bigger that you need to understand that is bigger than just your momentary time on this earth. He says, in my father's house are many rooms If it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He lifts their eyes from the momentary earthly confusion, doubt, burden, pain. And he says, look bigger than that. This is, this is all working for you a far greater eternal weight in glory. Understand that something greater is coming and I'm going to prepare that. So this moment is not all that there is. Lift your eyes and see heaven. And can I tell you that the same is true for every believer that has ever lived. We have such a tendency to get our hearts and our minds so fixed on that which is earthly. And God is calling us to look above that to that which is heavenly. And when you get your eyes on heaven, when you get your eyes on eternity, it has a way of stilling that burdened heart. So I want to give you this truth this morning. A right view of and a high affection for heaven will settle the heart of the believer in the greatest of trouble. A right view of and a high affection for heaven will settle the heart of the believer in the greatest trouble. In other words, we need heaven-settled hearts. Jesus says, I know you have trouble. I know it's painful now. I know you're going to be facing difficult days. But he says, don't invest your heart here. Don't sink your heart into earthly things. Sink your heart into the reality that is coming. This place that I'm preparing for you where I will be and you will be and together we will be forever. Set your gaze on heaven. Fix your eyes on heaven. And that tends to still, to settle the heart that has become so heavenly invested in earthly things. If our confidence is in the God of history, who's saving for Himself a people, by the way, through His death and resurrection, who's making all things new, then all of a sudden, my affliction, my pain, my trouble becomes light and momentary. Our hearts will grow unexplainably settled and not just 
to come. But we're settled now in the present, even amidst the trouble. This is why Paul could describe it as a peace that surpasses all understanding. Think about, think about how this shaped John's ministry. When you get over to John chapter 20, it's John that outruns Peter to get to the tomb. And John is the first one who believes. When they're there in the boat, it's John who recognizes Jesus on the shore. They give themselves to this mission of following Jesus all because John says, this is the Christ. John becomes Peter's closest companion as we get into the book of Acts. And they pour themselves out, even standing on trial for the name of Jesus. Why? Because John has bigger sights than what is just in front of him in the moment. Then John is exiled to the island of Patmos and there suffering he receives a vision A vision that we know now as the book of Revelation. And it is a vision of this heavenly city. John there on that island, no doubt, reminding himself, don't be troubled, John. I know you're facing difficult days. Don't be troubled now, John, because Jesus is gone and He's coming back for you. Don't worry, John. And as he wrote Revelation, this heavenly city, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And Jesus says, the one who is seated on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. And what was John's response? John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Why? Because John has a heaven-settled heart. He really believed in the physical absence of Jesus that Jesus was doing something greater than he could ever imagine. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Believer, we've, we've got to get our hearts wrapped around this reality that there is so much more in store beyond this life. We live by mantras like you only live once or live your best life now or we've got to we've got to live life to the fullest. But at the end of the day, our lives are only lived for the fullest if we are living with eternity in view. If we're living with our hearts and our gaze set upon heaven. And can I tell you that it is greater than anything you could ever imagine. And it will utterly change. The way that you live now, if your sights are set on heaven, you'll live differently, you'll obey differently, you'll prioritize differently, you'll love your spouse differently, you'll parent differently, you'll be a part of the church differently, all because you know that your life is working for the glory of God, that God is doing something amazing and something huge that you could never imagine, that He's saving Himself of people and that this picture of heaven is what life is headed toward. When you've got your heart set upon that, it changes everything about your life. But I said to you, not only that we should have a high affection for heaven, and that is important. 
It is important that we love heaven even before we get there. But we cannot love a heaven of our own making. We must also have a right view of heaven. And Jesus not only aims here in this passage to see that we love what's coming. He, he aims to see that we know what's coming. Not all of it in its detail. And as you read throughout Scripture, and I would encourage you to do that, you get a bigger, broader view of what heaven is going to be like. God gives us an insight into that. But there is enough insight in this passage to give us a right view in some very wrong views that we have had traditionally about heaven. I hope that you see these. Because if you are going to have a settled heart amidst trouble, it will only come because you have a high view of the right heaven. So what is it? Number one, heaven settles the heart because of the promise of Jesus. Heaven settles the heart because of the promise of Jesus. Here's what he says. He's saying, I don't want you to be troubled. And he's given this in this gentle kind of way. Trust in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he says this statement about heaven. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. By the way, is probably the best translation of that word. It's the idea of a dwelling place, not necessarily a mansion, a place that is ornate, as you might think about it in earthly terms, but a place where you can live. There is a place in my Father's house for many people, he says. Many people, all who will come to faith in Jesus, there's a place for you in the kingdom of God, in the Father's house. But this is an important statement. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is assuming something here. This is a group of Jews who have a very steep history in the Scriptures. This is a group of Jews that take rabbis at their word. When, when these teachers say something, it is true. And Jesus says, appealing to his teaching, he says to them, would I have told you this if it weren't true? In other words, do you trust the word of Christ? See, here's the wrong view of heaven that is often espoused in our world today. That heaven is a myth. The afterlife is a myth. Even hell itself is a myth. And that Christians, the church, made up heaven in order to make themselves feel better and cope with their problems. And church, if that's all heaven is, if, it, if, if heaven is just a way for me to get through this life and get to the end of it, then that's not enough. Because I'm going to face death one day. There's got to be more to this life than just this short 70, 80, 90 years that God lets me live if if that long, right? There's got to be more to that. More than, than that to it. And the real question is going to be, are we going to trust the Word of Christ? Is heaven more than a myth because Jesus said that it is? 
See, this is what is so essential to the people of God, that we should understand that everything that we believe, everything that we teach, that all of the convictions that we hold must be rooted in the unchanging, inerrant word of Christ. It is the foundation for belief and practice. And if we do not believe the words of Jesus, we have we have no ability to believe anything else in Scripture. Jesus is the word. Right? He is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Do we believe when Jesus said that I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back, do we believe the Word of Christ? His Word is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Everything from cover to cover is God's Word and it is true. And it is authoritative. Meaning that what Jesus has said bears absolute authority on my life and your life. My opinion on heaven does not matter. And let me be crystal clear. A little boy's story on heaven doesn't mean very much either. It is what Christ has said about heaven. Do you see this? His Word holds authority. And if Jesus teaches us about this place where death is going to be no more, sorrow is going to be no more, pain is going to be no more, and we're going to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever, then that's worth hanging my hope on every single day, even in the darkest of trouble. So do you trust the words of Christ? That's essentially the question. Number two. Not only do we trust in the Word of Christ, heaven settles the heart because of the provision of Jesus. Heaven settles the heart because of the provision of Jesus. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? The one who's making the preparation is Christ. He he was the one providing the place. It's the same provision He made, by the way, for us. And in our Father's house, there are many rooms. Jesus is the one who prepares that. The question is, in what way has Jesus provided? It brings us to a second wrong view. And that is, when heaven is finally complete, then Jesus will come back and receive us. Like there's some building project going on in heaven and when that project is finally complete that Jesus is going to return for his people. We often think as if Jesus has gone with a hammer and nails into heaven and the interior designer is setting everything up so that we have this great home in heaven, right? The preparation though that Jesus is speaking of is his own death. The only way that we are prepared to be in heaven. The only way a place is prepared for us is that the death that we deserve is satisfied. Jesus is not preparing by taking up a hammer and nails and going to heaven and building a home. Jesus is preparing a place for us by being nailed to a cross. That's the preparation. He's going to die in the place of sinners. And this is what is coming. And this is what is so troubling the, the thing that they cannot see, the, the, the comfort that they cannot find in death. Jesus says there is great comfort in death because I'm taking on death for you. 
I'm going to suffer the wrath of God for you. And that is the provision that is necessary in order for you to even go to heaven. You realize that we are born sinners separated from God. We are born destined not for heaven, but for hell. And in order for a place to be prepared, that death, that eternal spiritual death has to be satisfied. And the only way that that could happen is that Jesus makes the provision for us. It is not the, the, the comfort of every single person that you might go through some pain and heaven is coming. No, it is the, the comfort of believers that you might go through some pain and death is coming. And, and heaven is coming. Do you realize that the only way that we have any comfort in this life is to know that the greatest death has been died? That the greatest suffering has been satisfied and Jesus did it in our place that we might spend forever with God. Jesus prepares the way. And heaven settles the heart when we realize that the price has already been paid. Third, Heaven settles the heart because of the presence of Jesus. Heaven settles the heart because of the presence of Jesus. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And he gives the reason that where I am, you may be also. Hear this. The glory of heaven is not the streets of gold or the pearly gates or anything else you might imagine, the glory of heaven, the place with no sun, is Jesus because He gives it its light. Jesus is the glory of heaven and we are called to realize that the place is only a gateway to the person. You see this. To know the One that is leaving They get to see Him and know Him again because He's coming to receive them to Himself. And the same promise is true for every single believer. There is a wrong view of heaven that is floating around. That heaven is this place where we float on the clouds forever. We walk on streets of gold and enjoy our mansions. That is this place of eternal prosperity. And while those things might be in some sense true, Jesus is the glory of heaven. I'm afraid too often that we live this life looking forward to the place more than we look forward to the person. Heaven was created so that God's people could be with Him. In fact, think about this. The story, the the vision that we just read about in Revelation is about the old heavens and the old earth passing away. And this new heaven and new earth coming. Any sense of heaven that you may have now, God is creating it new. And that's going to happen in a moment when we are changed, when we receive that eternal body and spend forever with God in Christ. So don't miss it. It is a reality that is far beyond all comparison, not because we see streets of gold, but because we see the Son of the living God. By the way, it's not a Future promise only. It's a present promise. You get into the very next chapter and we begin to see, or the very next text, and we begin to see the coming of the Holy Spirit 
God's presence with them now. That's the whole point of living the Christian life. It is to be restored to God in His presence. And so heaven settles our heart because of the presence of Jesus. But there is one more reality here that we must make plain. And that is that heaven settles the heart because of the plan of Jesus. There's only one way to know the comfort that Jesus is speaking of here. There's only one way to be secure even when everything else in life seems to be going nuts. There's only one real way to know that we are ultimately going to be in heaven with God. And this is what Jesus says to Thomas. He says in verse 4, you know the way to where I am going. Again, Thomas is confused, just like the rest of the disciples. He says, I don't know where you're going, Jesus. How can I know the way? I want to know. Of course, he doesn't know ultimately where Jesus is going. We know what this on the backside of the story And Jesus, describing that heavenly place, says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas is confused, but this is very plain to us. And it's profound. Because in this very short paragraph, Jesus begins by saying, believe in God, believe in me. But he reverses it here at the end in verse 6. And he says, there's actually no way to God unless you go through me. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The wrong view is that all people ultimately will go to heaven. Or there are multiple paths to heaven. And everyone kind of finds their way there. Not so according to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says there is only one way to heaven. That He is the way, the path that has been made available for us to follow in order to get to heaven. He is the truth. Outside of Him, everything else that doesn't submit itself to Him is not the truth. There's one truth, not multiple truths. It's not your truth and my truth. It's Jesus' truth. And what Jesus says is true. And He is the life. There is no way to to be saved from death apart from coming through Christ. You see, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And there is no other way. This is an urgent reality. It means that I, this morning, could share all kinds of feel-good advice to you, with you, And hopefully bring some comfort to your pain. But it can never bring salvation to your soul unless it is through Jesus. We we need this eternal hope in Him. And the only way we're going to be saved is through Christ. Why? Because every one of us was born sinners, separated from God. And there's nothing I can conjure up. There's not enough good works. There's not enough church attendance. There's not enough of anything else that I can get together that we would put in a category called works. None of those things are good enough to bring me into a right relationship with God. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, heaven is only comforting for those who are actually going. So I wonder this morning if that's you. 
I wonder this morning if you take comfort in an eternal reality called heaven because you know without doubt this morning that you'll be with God forever because of Christ. Some of you this morning may be trusting in any number of different things. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope of salvation. And so we must repent of our sin and believe upon Him. There's no other way to be right with God apart from that. And so this morning, even as Jesus said, there's plenty of room for you if you would trust in Christ today. Turn away from every other way and trust in Him. Would you bow your heads with me all across this room? Don't know who you are or what your life has been like this week. What trouble you might have faced. But I can promise you, believer, that if you will rest your hope and your faith in Christ, get your heart off of these things that are temporary and set them on that which is eternal, that God will begin to steady your heart today. So in just a few moments, I want to invite you to come. If that's you this morning, this altar is going to be open. I want to invite you to come to just lay your burden before the Lord. To just lay all of the the weight of it before God and to entrust it to Him completely this morning and ask God to lift your heart and your gaze toward heaven. And then trust Him. Trust Him. With each new thing, trust Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We want to call you this morning to do that for the very first time. Trust in Christ today and be saved. Right where you're standing, in just a few moments, we want to invite you to step out, come down this aisle today. Pastor, I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. I want to know that I'm going to go to heaven whenever I die right now today. We want to call you to make that decision. And so you come in just a few moments when we stand. Pastor, today I want to be saved and I'll lead you to Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So all across this room, would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would have your way in this place. God, that you would steer and steady our hearts toward heaven. Lord, if there's one here who's never trusted in Jesus, give them today, would you prompt them by your Holy Spirit to come and to trust in you for salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning as Dylan leads us because he lives. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www southwidebaptist.com We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.